Hello and welcome to Hempson's latest podcast. My name is Alison Oliver. I'm a partner at Hempson's Specialist GP team and I'm joined by Kirsty Adele, a senior solicitor. Hi Kirsty. Hi Alison. So this is one in a series of primary care podcasts that we're publishing in 2020 um, and this is a short 15-minute podcast on uh, mergers of GP practices. So we're hearing from many practices who are considering merging at the moment. Um, This isn't particularly surprising given the work and financial pressures affecting general practice in recent years. Smaller practices in particular may struggle to cope with the added demands on general practice. Emerging can give practices the opportunity to offer a broader range of services, share workload more effectively and achieve economies of scale. In this podcast, we'll discuss some of the key considerations for practices considering a merger, such as identifying potential merger partners, uh, providing an overview of the legal options for a merger. Um, we're going to talk about due diligence, the legal documentation that's needed, and we'll also touch on premises and workforce issues. So firstly, Kirsty, what are the first steps for practices when considering a merger? Okay, so the first step is to consider your own practice's vision and objectives, and that will help you decide whether and how a merger might help you um, and help you to achieve those objectives. So once you identify a potential merger partner or or partners, there should be an initial stage of informal discussions, and that's during which you can explore whether there's sufficient common ground between you um, to continue the negotiations further. You should definitely involve your accountant as well at this stage, and that's to help identify whether a merger with a particular practice or practices is going to be financially viable. And you might also discuss at this stage some key basic terms for the merger, and that will help guide the more detailed negotiations that are going to follow. So that's the the first steps. Um, Alison, could you perhaps outline now some of the legal options for a merger? Yes, thanks, Kirsty. So there are a few different options for merging GP practices. Um, and there are probably the, the three main ones are um, firstly a full merger. So that's when the contracts with the NHS of the merging practices are um, themselves merged into a single contract with a single patient list. Um, And one of the practices um, premises would become the main surgery for the merged practice and the other premises would be branch surgeries. This option, um, because it involves merging uh, NHS contracts, requires the approval of the commissioner. Um, And there's a formal process to follow, which is set out in the NHS uh, primary care procedure manual. Um, And that process can take um, a number of months. Um, Another alternative is to retain the existing primary care contracts of the practices that are merging, but just to merge at an operational level. Um, So in this model, Commissioner involvement would only be in relation to making the required changes to the identity of the partners on the practice contracts in a similar way to if partners come and go in a practice other than in a merger situation. Um, And then finally, there is a more complex 
models and various hybrid models um, but one in particular is where you might have numerous practices coming together to operate different surgeries in what's uh, come to be known as a super partnership. So it's important to take legal and financial advice at an early stage to identify the best structural option for the practices that are emerging and then to approach the commissioner if the model requires major changes to the contractual arrangements um, so that the commissioner's uh, internal approval processes can be followed. Um, it might be that patient consultation is also required where the merger will result in changes to the way in which the service is delivered. Once you've settled on your preferred option, practices can then start to enter more detailed negotiations about the terms for the merger. Um, and one very important stage of that process that often gets overlooked is that of due diligence. So Kirsty, would you be able to say more about that? Yes, of course. Um, so due diligence is the process that any person or partnership acquiring a business or, or an interest in a business, um, they carry it out to find out more about the business that they're acquiring. So the aim is to understand how the business is run, uh, its organisational structure and procedures, and to identify any potential problems which could affect the business after the merger. So, for example, you would typically want to find out detailed information about the terms and conditions of staff, the premises arrangements, uh, any regulatory or compliance issues affecting the practice, potential legal claims, you know, breaches of the NHS contract um, and so on. Uh, you'd also want to look at any concerns about individual partners. So that's things like GMC investigations or, or patient complaints. So you're aware of, of anything that, that might affect the business going forwards. And you should also ask your accountant to carry out financial due diligence. And again, that's to ensure, as we spoke about before, that the practices that you're looking to merge with, uh, it, it, that it's financially viable to do so. So as well as the legal and financial issues, during the due diligence stage, you should also try to get to know the other partners better um, and find out more about the culture, culture and, and ethos of the other practice um, and, and looking at it on an operational level as well and whether it, it will work once the practices emerged. So, of course, your prospective merger partners are also going to want to find out the same information about your practice. Um, so the due diligence process will work both ways. You'll be providing due diligence as, as well as investigating the other practices. Um, and after due diligence, you might decide that you don't want to merge with that practice after all. Um, or you might wish to proceed, but if specific issues have been identified in the due diligence, um, that can affect the terms of the merger. So, for example, if there's a legal claim against the other practice, you might seek an indemnity from the other practice in respect of that claim, or you might insist that certain matters are remedied before the merger takes place. So that could be, for example, fixing broken equipment that's been identified during the due diligence process. So all of these issues will generally be addressed in the legal documentation for the merger. Uh, so Addison, do you want to say a little bit more about the legal documentation required? Uh, yes, of course. Thanks, Kirsty. So, um, yeah, the, I mean, the first document that practices might consider entering into 
at the early stages is a confidentiality agreement under which practices agree to keep confidential the fact that merger discussions are taking place um, and to keep confidential the information that they provide to each other in the course of due diligence um, and the negotiations. Um, practices sometimes also enter into a simple heads of terms document which summarises key terms that they agree early on such, such as whether they'll seek a full merger or an operational merger um, and it can also be um, worth considering having a simple cost sharing agreement between the parties making clear how the costs of the merger process will be shared between the practices. So those are kind of early stage documents that are sometimes but not always entered into. Um, then in terms of the main legal documentation there will usually be some kind of merger or business transfer document which deals with the transfer of assets between the partners involved in the merger um, and apportions income and liabilities relating to the practices in the periods before and after the merger um, and there are likely to be specific documentation requirements where there are transfers of premises and we're going to touch a little bit on that a bit later on in this podcast. Um, the partners of the merged partnership will also need an up-to-date partnership deed to ensure that the arrangements for governing the merged practice are clear from the merger date um, and to avoid the new partnership operating as a partnership at will which is uh, an extremely unstable business arrangement and not to be recommended. So there will also be documentation to deal with any variations to the NHS contracts of the practices, either to arrange for partners from the merging practices to be added to each other's contracts or to deal with the merger of the contracts. There are various other ancillary requirements such as arranging for contracts, registrations and licences of the practices to be transferred into the names of the merged partnership partners. Um, and to deal with the legal requirements for transfers of staff to the merged partnership. Um, an example of um, other documentation needed is, is that the CQC will have to be notified of the changes so that the merged practice has registration to reflect the new business structure. So that's a very brief overview of the legal documentation required for a merger. But Kirsty, would you be able to talk about some of the specific issues around workforce and premises? Yes, of course. Thank you, Alison. Um, so in terms of workforce, the practices merging will need a workforce strategy and plan. If any changes to the workforce are needed, they should be addressed with support from a specialist employment lawyer or HR advisor. Generally, a merger will result in at least some employees transferring into the merged partnership by virtue of the transfer of undertakings protection of employment regulations, that's also known as CHIPI, and there are specific requirements associated with these regulations. So it's really important that you get employment advice and HR advice before making any changes to the workforce. So similarly, um, the practices will need to agree on their premises requirements and how existing practice premises will be dealt with. So, for example, if a practice owns its premises, will the partners from the other practice buy into those premises or will the existing owners lease them to the merged practice instead? So if there's a third party landlord, uh, the lease will need to be checked and there might need to be assignment of that lease to the new partnership as well. Where any of the premises of the merged practice are to be owned by partners in the owned partnership, um, 
we recommend the owners enter into a declaration of trust and that sets out the basis on, on what they, which these premises are owned. Uh, likewise, if any premises are mortgaged, the partners will need to discuss with their bank the bank's requirements um, in, in terms of what's needed for the, the merged partnership going forwards. Thanks, Kirsty. That's great. So in summary, um, we are seeing a lot of practices wanting to merge. Um, identifying the right merger partners is crucial. Um, there's a lot to consider from a legal perspective, and we'd suggest that you allow at least six months for the process overall, although it can well take even longer than that. Um, the earlier you involve your specialist advisors, the better. Um, although much of the legal documentation might not be drafted until later in the process, it's important to have advice on the legal considerations early on and throughout the process to ensure that important stages aren't overlooked. Um, you might also want to con consider establishing a small working group involving at least one partner from each practice and a manager or a consultant to project manage the process um, and ensure that those people have enough time to, to, to devote to this because it can be quite time consuming. Uh, finally, we do need to say that this podcast includes opinion and interpretation, which we consider is correct at the time of recording, but you should always seek legal advice on your situation. If you'd like to know more about GP practice mergers or about anything to do with uh, primary care generally, you can find our contact details and other podcasts on uh, www.hempsons.co.uk or you can call me, Alison, on 0191 230 6079 or Kirsty on 020 7484 7647. That just leaves me to say thank you for listening to our podcast and please contact us if you have any questions. Thank you.